This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Thursday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. We've got lots to talk about this morning. Of course, UConn men's and women's basketball both in action yesterday. Um, But we're going to start this morning with baseball news. Uh, Spring training just getting ready to get started. And Red Sox fans were, you know, I don't want to say they were shocked. I mean, there had been rumors that Andrew Benintendi might get traded at some point this offseason, but the closer we got to spring training, it seemed like they had decided they were going to roll with Benintendi, you know, find out what they had, whether, you know, the injury and then the, you know, the rough start that he had to last season was a blip on the radar screen or whether this was a trend. Well, they decided to pull the plug yesterday. They traded Benintendi to the Kansas City Royals. It was part of a three-team deal. The Red Sox get back uh, Franchi Cordero from the Royals, who was a former outfielder, young kid from the San Diego Padres, who came over there in a trade. And they also get right-hander Josh Winkowski from the New York Mets. And they're also going to get three players to be named later. So you look at it on the face and you go, geez, they got five players for Andrew Benintendi. Great job, Hyam Bloom. Well, and I guess, you know, that's the glass half full view. And, and I'm not saying that I'm, you know, trying to be a glass half empty kind of guy, but let's take a look for a minute at what they got. Everybody is excited about Cordero. They think he is the the key to this whole thing. Cordero is 26 years old. All right, he has played in parts of four major league seasons. He supposedly has prodigious power. This is a guy that can hit the ball to the moon. Everybody is excited about how hard he can hit the ball and how far he can hit the ball. Well, why? Because that's what we worry about in this day and age. We don't worry about anything else. We don't worry about contact. How, how hard does he hit the ball? And this is the kind of stuff that pisses me off about modern baseball. So let's take a look at Frankie Cordero. In four, part of four seasons, he's got 284 bats. I'll give you, it's a small sample. But in 284 at-bats, he has struck out 110 times. 40% of the time that he has come to the plate in the major leagues, he has struck out. That's a problem. Now, his strikeout numbers were down last year, but he was only 38 at-bats. So last year, he only struck out once every 10 times. So marked improvement. But there is nothing in his numbers that, even in the minor leagues, that make you go, this guy is a can't miss. 
All right. You know, I'm, I'm not saying the kid's a bum. All right. Don't get me wrong. But this is not some stud. All right. This is, a, you know, this is a guy that's not even one of the top two or three prospects in the Royal system. He's 6'3", 226 pounds. He's a big kid. You know, he's from the Dominican Republic, you know, and you look at a lot of, uh, you know, the, the stuff that they're saying about him in the minors and you go, okay, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I'm wrong here. And I hope I am wrong. I really do. But, you know, you even look at his numbers in the minors and they don't, they don't uh, inspire a lot of confidence. They really don't. In 2019 in the minors, you know, so put, let's put last season aside. Up with the Royals, I mean, up with the, uh, the Padres in 2018, he struck out 55 times and 139 at-bats. The following year in the minors in 2019, in 59 at-bats in the minors, he struck out 25 times, almost half the time, and he hit 203. Now, he came up with the Padres for a cup of coffee and struck out seven times in 15 at-bats in 2019. So you'll have to pardon me if I don't get real excited about this kid. Now, maybe I'm going to be completely wrong, and I hope I am, but good God. So then the other kid they get is this Josh Winkowski. And again, I don't know this kid. I just know, you know, you look at what the scouting report is. He's the 26th prospect in the Mets system before they traded him to the Red Sox yesterday. He was, let me repeat that. He was the 26th ranked prospect in the Mets system. We didn't get Tom Seaver, folks. You know, he throws 97, but he has an inconsistent delivery. His his fastball lacks movement. And, you know, this is a guy that, you know, he's, he's a reliever, and he's probably one of those, you know, uh, long relievers, a guy that, you know, the cannon fodder kind of guy. So you'll have to pardon me if I don't get too excited about that. And then three players to be named later. You know, which in most times when you get a player to be named later, it's the equivalent of getting a bag of balls in return. All right. So, again, pardon me if I don't get real excited about this. Now, look, and I'm not telling you that Andrew Benintendi is a guy that should have demanded a top prospect. I'm not telling you that because Andrew Benintendi, there's enough question marks on his own. I get that. But folks, you know, we, we we looking at a guy that is a 273 career hitter. Take, you know, take last year out. You know, Alex Spear in the Boston Globe this morning said he cratered in 2020. He got 39 at bats. He was 4 for 39. Yeah, it's a 103 average. It's 39 at bats. I guarantee you every those guys in the Hall of Fame, most of them all had times where they went four for 39 or something similar, where you just couldn't get out of your own way. It happens. All right. Now, in 2019, the year after they won the World Series, in the World Series year, Ben Attendee was unbelievable. Hit 290, 16 homers, 87 runs, batted in. Everybody's like, oh, my God. You know? And, and the year before that, he had hit 20 home runs, driven in 90. You know, everybody's excited. 2019, he takes a step back, but he was still major league average. 
right? He hit 266, 13 homers, 68 runs batted in, and he was still a great defensive outfielder. He's a great defensive outfielder. That catch he made in the 2018 World Series was unbelievable. All right, so even though he took a step back in 2019 a little bit, this is still a guy that is a legitimate top half of the major leagues outfielder. You know, people that want to keep harping on what he did last year are stupid. It was 39 at-bats, for God's sake. You know, so I'm not telling you that they should have traded him for, you know, Max Scherzer. I'm not saying that he, you know, this isn't, this isn't Ken Griffey, you know, as an outfit. This is a guy that, though, is a better-than-average major league outfielder. And in return, you got a guy that strikes out 40% of the time in his major league at bats, and you know what? He's got great power, but I couldn't care less. I'd rather have a guy that can move the move the runner along. Ben Attendee, in uh, his first four years in the major leagues, didn't strike out anywhere near that much. Ben Attendee, in 2017, struck out 112 times in 573 at bats. It's about once every five times up. 2018, he struck out 106 times in 579 at-bats. It was even better than a year before. You know, his numbers went up a little bit in 2019 when his average went down. But again, this guy doesn't, you know, even last year when he stunk for those 39 at-bats, he didn't strike out 40% of the time. So, you know, did, did the Red Sox get the proper return and I'm going to tell you no. Now, again, I could be proven wrong, and Cordero could turn out to be a stud, but you'll have to pardon me if I'm skeptical. Now, what it does do, it frees up some salary. Now, they had to send $2.8 million to Kansas City to help pay Benintendi's salary for this year, uh, where he's going to make $6.6 million. So what does it do? It freed up $6.6 million you had probably six to eight million dollars under the luxury tax threshold to begin with. So now you've got twelve or thirteen million dollars. So does that mean the Red Sox are done? Does that mean the Red Sox are gonna make a run at Jackie Bradley Jr., perhaps, for the outfield? Or are you telling me that the Red Sox outfield now is going to include Cordero, that they're just going to throw this kid in there, a kid that has no proven track record in the major leagues, and they're going to throw him in there instead of Andrew Benintendi. If they're going to do that, I'd rather they brought up Jared Duran, they're one of their top prospects in their own system, who's 22 years old and a speedster. I'd rather they bring him up. So, you know, I don't know what the plans are, but it concerns me if Cordero is going to be their guy. You know, or is it going to be we're going to see Enrique Hernandez, Kike Hernandez a little bit more in the outfield than maybe we thought. And I don't necessarily like that either because I think he's our answer at second base. So I'm concerned. I mean, look, now, if you tell me that they're going to take that money, that they're saving on Benintendi, and they're going to go out and they're going to sign Jackie Bradley, and now all of a sudden we can leave Verdugo in right, we can put Jackie back in center, and then we can use, you know, 
Hunter Renfro in left or, you know, and you put Hernandez out there every now and then, you know, I'm okay with that. But I'm concerned if if that they traded a guy who is an above average outfielder for a guy who strikes out forty percent of the time, and we don't you know and and who and and by all accounts appears to be an average outfielder. So you know I'm you know I I don't I don't I don't get it. I don't get this trade at all, you know. And then people are going to say, "Well, you know, they're 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 stocking the depth in the uh, in the the farm system. This is what they need to do." And what made this worse? This trade was one year to the day when they traded Mookie Betts to the Los Angeles Dodgers. So one year to the day when you ripped out the hearts of most Red Sox fans and traded Mookie Betts. You do the same thing to perhaps the uh, second most popular player on this team, Andrew Benintendi, to the fans, and get rid of him. Great job, Hein Bloom. I'm, I'm, I am not, I am not pleased. I don't like what's going on here. And you know, Bloom. Look, I'll give Bloom credit for this. He stands up. He says, "I know for our fans, this isn't the first time in the last year plus that they've seen a player that's important to them and important to the organization leave." I know that's tough. I know that's painful. But we're obviously doing what we think is right for the organization. We felt we were able to address a number of needs. It puts us on good enough footing going forward that it was worth swallowing hard and taking the painful step of trading a player who's important to us. I'll give him credit for that. You know, at least he took the time to acknowledge that this was a difficult pill for Red Sox fans to swallow. And maybe, you know, maybe this will turn out for the best. You know, maybe this 22-year-old kid, Winkowski, you know, who was a 16th-round pick, you know, maybe he becomes uh, some diamond in the rough that we're not expecting. He's a big kid. He's a 6'4 righty, you know, and his numbers in the minors are like, meh. You know, He's he's pitched only in the lower levels of the minors. He's got a ERA in the minors of three three five. Not a big strikeout guy. Walks are a little bit high, you know. But you know, and Bloom says, "Well, he's not a finished product yet." Well, okay. Here's the thing: neither's Cordero. Benintendi was a finished product. We knew what we had, and we knew what we had with the good Andrew Benintendi. And there was hope that we were going to get them back or get that back. You know, and by the way, you know, word is that there were a lot of people in the Red Sox organization that were not on board with this. And I don't, you know, I, I, I'm thinking Alex Cora might have been one of them as well. But there were a lot of people that in this organization that wanted Benintendi to stay. They wanted to have him, you know, show that last year and, and you know, the, the little bit of a dip he had in 2019, you know, was not what we should expect from him. So the entire 2018 World Series outfield right now is gone from Boston. I mean, think about that. In, in, a, in a season and a third, right, because I'm only counting last year as a third of a season. In a season and a third, we lost a World Series winning outfield that was perhaps the best 
young outfield in baseball. You know, it was the outfield that made people think about Jim Rice and Fred Lynn and Dwight Evans. You know, that, that was an amazing outfield. That was, you know, and this one was just as good. You know, uh, so it's hard to have it ripped away that fast. I mean, it's just, it, it, you know, I, I, when I was doing my social media post this morning, I almost called it a dismantling, you know, that they're dismantling this team. And, and, and that's probably not fair. But, you know, when you have players that are that popular and you continue to raise ticket prices now, you know, there were no fans last year, but they were going, the, the word had come down that ticket prices were getting raised last year before the decision was made not to have fans. You know, when you continue to do these things, you're going to raise ticket prices, but then take away the players that fans want to see. That's a problem. And I know this is a business. I know this isn't like the old days when you had guys stay together forever. Jackie Bradley acknowledged that a couple of years ago when people were talking about this great outfield and comparing them to the, you know, the Lynn Rice Evans outfield. Jackie said, you know, back then he said, you know, it's all great, well and good, but it's a different time now. And keeping guys together for long periods of time is not easy. So Jackie knew. And I think, I think we all knew that the three of them weren't going to stay together. But there is no way in hell, if you had told me in 2018 that within two seasons all three of those guys would be gone from this team, I would have I would have thought you were smoking dope. I'm serious. So, you know, you could see one of them going, right? You could you can understand that because business is business and it gets to a point where the contracts become so big when these guys perform well that it's impossible almost to keep them together. But I never in my wildest dreams thought we would see all three of these guys gone that fast. And it's, it's disheartening, you know, uh, and it's, you know, I look, I do this show and uh, we talk about, you know, teams from everywhere. And we talk about all different kinds of sports, but I have made no, you know, no secret of the fact that I have been a Red Sox fan since I was a little kid. And it's hard for me with this one. You know, and it's not that Ben Attendee was my favorite player on the team. You know, if you told me that, you know, I had to pick, well, obviously I would have kept Mookie. And, you know, if the other two guys had to go, well, all right. You know, but I'm hoping for for all that, that you know, that they just saved, I am hoping this means they're going to take a run at Jackie and bring him back. The problem is this has taken so long. Jackie's market has deteriorated. Maybe you can get him you know, for around, you know, a little bit what you were pay, around what you were paying Benintendi, maybe a little bit more, you know, I hope that that's what they're doing. Because if we're going into this season with Cordero, Verdugo, and Hunter Renfro, we're in big trouble. Big trouble. You know, the Pakoda projections came out yesterday where they run the simulations and they based on, you know, what you have. And they said that the Red Sox were going to be an 80 and 82 team this year. Uh, that's all, by the way, I thought they'd win 84, 85 games, but Pocota says 80, 80 and 82. Well, I'm telling you what, and that was before the Benintendi trade. I'm telling you right now, if they don't do something else and, and, or this p- pitching doesn't overachieve, this team's not winning 80 games, you know, and uh, say what you want 
about Heimblum and 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 oh, you know, and and that's the other part that it, it irks me. You know, you got these these uh, <clears throat> Twitter toadies, guys that want to like uh, kneel at the uh, the feet of Heim Bloom and and worship and say, oh, you know, we trust in Heim, and oh, you know. Just because they want to be seen as uh, as as team players, and you know maybe they'll get some special access. Maybe Heim will be nice to them and talk to them if if they don't criticize him. I don't give a crap about that. What I want to see is results. And we we traded Mookie Betts last year, and the result was a train wreck. Now Mookie Betts isn't going to make that team suddenly a playoff team last year, but it wouldn't have hurt. If you had Verdugo, Betts, well, you wouldn't have had Verdugo, but if you had Betts and, and, and Jackie Bradley Jr. out there, they would have been a better team. They might not have made the playoffs, or, but they might have. You know, but but I'm I'm not afraid of of, of Heimblum. You know, I'm, what is, what's he going to do to me? You know, but this better work. I'm telling you, I mean, this is, this is, these are the kinds of decisions the the two the two major decisions this guy has made in the last two years these are the kinds of decisions that can wreck your career. He comes in here and he trades the franchise face in Mookie Betts, and then the year after he trades perhaps the most popular player on the team next to Mookie Betts and Andrew Benintendi. They're gone. And by the way, Brock Holt, another huge fan favorite, Heim Bloom decided they weren't going to resign Brock Holt and they let him walk. You know, they, they, they shipped them off. You know, uh, these are the kinds of things, you know, you keep pissing off fans and you don't get results. These are the kinds of things that cost people jobs. So Heim Bloom better be hoping this works. Uh, one other thing that came down yesterday with the Red Sox hasn't been announced by the team yet, but uh, the Japanese team that owns this guy has announced that the Red Sox have signed a Japanese pitcher uh, by the name of Hirokazu Sawamura. He's 32 years old. Um, and he is a relief pitcher. He's a guy that projects to maybe being a sixth or seventh inning guy in the major leagues. Again, you'll have to forgive me if I don't get excited about Japanese baseball players coming over here. A lot, you look, the Japanese league is not at the level of the major leagues it's probably like our triple a there is no guarantee that they are going to have success when they come over here there are some that have i mean uh masahiro tanaka was very very successful uh we have seen you know several other pitchers japanese pitchers come over and be successful and we have seen some come over and be absolute train wrecks as well you know ask the seattle mariners how they feel about uh Japanese pitchers right now. I mean, obviously Ichiro, when he was there, was you know one of the best players ever to come out of Japan. Uh, but uh, their success with Japanese pitching hasn't been that great, and so you know we'll see. You know, but they got him for one point two million. It's a two year deal for one point two million dollars a year. They didn't invest a lot. If he flames out, well, so be it. Uh, but again, that still leaves the Red Sox probably around ten or eleven million dollars to make other moves. So that's where we're at as far as that goes. And uh, one other quick note before we take a break. Uh, Billy Canigliaro died yesterday. Uh, Billy was the first draft pick by the Boston Red Sox. He was the fifth overall pick by Boston 
1965 when they uh, uh, when when the draft pick uh, when the draft got started. And uh, Canigliaro was the younger brother of Tony Canigliaro. Well, he died yesterday at the age of 73. Uh, guy didn't have a long major league career; it was only five or six years. Uh, played a few years for the Red Sox, then they shipped him off uh, to Milwaukee. Um, they traded him uh, to the Brewers to get uh, Tommy Harper, Marty Patton, uh, and a couple of other players. Um, and never really had uh, some success after that. He actually spent the last part of his life uh, until his brother died taking care of Tony. Of course, Tony you know, was famously hit in the uh, face with a baseball. It pretty much ended his career. Uh, and then had one major health issue after another. He had a heart attack and a stroke. And so Billy spent a lot of time taking care of uh, of his brother uh, at the end of his life. And, uh, uh, and of course, uh, Tony died in 1990. And then after that, Billy kept Tony's legacy alive. They have the Tony Canigliaro Award, uh, which is given to a major league who overcomes adversity um, every year. And uh, Billy was very passionate about that. He would go through all the nominees, and uh, he would present it to the committee and be very passionate about who he thought should win it. So... Uh, uh, so anyway, so B- Billy Canigliaro passed away yesterday uh, at the age of 73. It's 30 minutes past the hour. We've got to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 33 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Thursday morning. By the way, uh, just to wrap up the talk about the Red Sox trade yesterday, as I mentioned, the three players to be named later, and I, you know, I was a little disparaging about, you know, a lot of times it's the equivalent of a bag of balls. But one, uh, a couple of people mentioned yesterday, a couple of writers did say that they, in, in their belief, that whoever the players are to be named later, and by the way, two of them will come from the Kansas City Royals, the other one will come from the New York Mets. Uh, a lot of people have said whoever these players to be named later are, they need to be, or at least one or two of them, need to be somebody somewhat substantial in that the return that the Red Sox got for Benintendi was a little bit light. <laughs> you know, because, by the way, perhaps the best minor leaguer that got traded in this was the Mets got a kid by the name of Khalil Lee, a uh, young 22-year-old outfielder uh, from the Royals, uh, who was a hell of a prospect. And uh, so the Mets actually made out better in terms of of return uh, for this. So uh, so whoever the Red Sox get, hopefully at least one or two of them will be somewhat better than a bag of balls. But we'll see. The teams have six months, by the way, to complete the players to be named later. So, you know, it could be literally the all-star break or after before the Red Sox know who those players to be named later are. Uh, it will be interesting, and this is something that uh, you know the teams will have to negotiate who they're going to be. Uh, and I don't know what happens if they can't agree. I mean, I don't know whether an arbiter gets involved or what, but um, you know, I'm, what will happen is is the teams will give the Red Sox a list of players to choose from. You know, players that the uh, the teams are going to basically say, oh, "Well, we can we can do without this guy." Uh, but you know, it, it does. You know, they do make a good point. The return was light, so we'll see. Again, it could be six months before we know. So, all right, uh, basketball last night here in the state of Connecticut. The UConn women, of course, coming off that huge win over number one South Carolina the other night. 
you could forgive them if they have a little bit of a letdown last night. And there were oh, there's always fears about that. You know, you play a big emotional game and you uh, you win it, and sometimes you just kind of take a breath, and before you know it, you're getting you know your your brains beat in in the next game. Well, that nearly happened to the UConn women last night. Uh, they came back to win the game. I mean, and they won it by 21. So it's not you know you're going to look at the final score and go, well, you know, typical another another big win. However. UConn was down 21 to 10 in the second quarter. UConn scored 10 points in the first quarter, and then Seton Hall scored the first five of the second quarter. So all of a sudden, you're looking at the team that everybody thinks is going to be number one, and you're like, oh my God. Well, by the fourth quarter, you know, UConn got things rolling, and they outscored Seton Hall in the fourth quarter, 21 to six. They outscored them by 15 in the fourth quarter, won the thing by 21. Uh, you know, UConn was actually down a point at halftime. That doesn't happen very often, but the second half they outscored Seton Hall 44 to 22. So it was a little scary. I mean, but it was one of those games where you knew they were down, but I never thought that they were going to lose the game. Uh, again, Paige Becker is another huge game. Now she didn't get, she didn't have 30. She became the first player at UConn to ever have 30 points in three straight games. But last night she scored 23 on 10 for 19 shooting another incredible performance. But, uh, UConn can point to the performance of a couple of other players last night. Livia Nelson Adota was huge last night, 15 points, 13 rebounds, a couple of blocks. That was big. Uh, Aaliyah Edwards, another strong game. The freshman in 19 minutes had 11 points and seven rebounds. Uh, I, I have become more and more impressed with her every time I see her. Avina Westbrook, a great game last night, 36 minutes. She had 12 points, eight rebounds, and seven assists. Of more concern, however, for UConn, Kristen Williams, another subpar game. She did not score. Second time this season she has not scored. She only had six points against South Carolina. All of a sudden, she is struggling to find uh, her game. She went 0 for 6 from the field last night, only had one assist. So, you know, if you're Gino, you've got to be a little bit concerned about that. Um, but, again, you know, UConn out-rebounds Seton Hall 46-32. to 32. Uh, They go to 15-1, and one, undefeated in the Big East. They'll be number one. You know, when the next poll comes out, they play Georgetown on Friday night will be another, you know, uh, easy victory. Uh, but it certainly was one of those games last night where you could see there was a little bit of a hangover. But fortunately, uh, they found uh, they found their rhythm and ended up winning it by uh, by 20. Uh, as far as the UConn men go, by the way, what a strange start time for the UConn men yesterday. The game started at four o'clock in the afternoon. On a Wednesday, with school in session, uh, it's, just, <laughs> it's just weird. Uh, and uh, UConn probably wishes they hadn't played the game at all. They lose to Providence College yesterday by 11, 70 to fifty nine. And this UConn team right now has now lost four out of the last five games. They just well to say they're struggling offensively would be an understatement. Uh, Again, another game without James Booknight, their big star, the kid who was averaging 20 points a game, who kid who was headed to the NBA perhaps after this season, even though he's only a sophomore, he is likely headed to the NBA. And I think this injury that he had 
is going to propel him to the NBA even more because he's going to look at it and say, you know, look, you know, I've, I've already, you know, he's going to miss most of this season and he's, or at least half the season when it's all said and done. And he's going to say, you know what, why, why risk this? Why not just go to the NBA now and make my money? He's projected to be a first round draft pick. So, uh, you know, I would not be at all surprised if he's done after this year. But he was supposed to be a game-time decision yesterday. Well, the game-time decision was he's not playing. Um, He still has some discomfort in that elbow. They used a surgeon outside of UConn. They didn't use the regular UConn surgeon for this one. He used his own guy, and he met with Booknight to get cleared, still had discomfort, and the surgeon said uh, that he just needs to be shut down longer, needs more time, which means he probably also – won't play in their game on Saturday either. And without him, this UConn team does not know where to go for offense. They don't have anybody. If they have to get into their half-court set, they're in big trouble because they don't have anybody that can really create. You know, R.J. Cole had 14 points yesterday. Tyrese Martin had 13 points yesterday. But they combined to shoot 10 for 24. You know, uh, UConn shot 40% from the field. You're not going to win a lot of games shooting 40% from the field. And the other part about this is because you don't have a dynamic player like Booknight, UConn doesn't get to the free throw line. UConn went to the line nine times in this game. They were five for nine from the free throw line. Providence, they went to the line 27 times. UConn lost this game by 11. They got outscored at the free throw line by 13. So you can make a case that not getting to the line and allowing Providence to get to the line 27 times was the difference. UConn committed 23 fouls in this game, only 14 for Providence. UConn had two guys foul out. Martin fouled out. Isaiah Whaley fouled out after another subpar performance. Uh, So... This UConn team's in trouble. They are now eight and five, you know, and this is a team that everybody just assumed. That, look, uh, two weeks ago they were ranked twenty third in the country, you know, and this is a team everybody just assumed was going to the NCAA tournament. I would not assume that anymore. You know, they are. Well, you know, they are a sinking ship taken on water. And I'm not, you know, and, and their their lifeboat is James Booknight. And we don't know when he's going to come back and play. You know, and look, you know, the thing is, is that you have to, you have to, you can't rush the kid, you know, and you can't put pressure on the kid to play. And if the doctor says you can't play, you can't play. But there's no question that UConn is not a threat to a lot of teams without James Booknight. And that's, you know, and if you're, if you're Danny Hurley and I know you've, this is, look, this is a young team and the kid, you know, Sonogo continues to play well. He nine points, eight rebounds yesterday. Uh, he blocked a couple of shots. You know, he, he is getting, he, he's a freshman and he's playing like he's uh, in the NBA. I mean, he's, this kid is, is pretty polished, but if you're Danny Hurley, and you've got all these young kids, and you're counting. And right now, without Booknight, you're 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 struggling. 
If you're Danny Hurley, you've got to be concerned going forward about how good this team can possibly be. A lot of people are assuming this was a team that, you know, was getting back to the tournament and was going to be a threat in the tournament for the next few years. If you're Danny Hurley, you got to be a little bit concerned at what you're finding because some of these guys that are having opportunities to step up and guys that they need to step up are not doing it. So they play Xavier on Saturday. They'll have their hands full there as well. Uh, and and I would not uh, I would not count on James Booknight playing that game either. Uh, the University of Hartford women's basketball team yesterday canceled the rest of the season. Uh, they had a few games left and just decided that uh, uh, they were done. It was a uh, Morgan Valley, who's the coach there, former UConn player, said that for that the season had taken a toll on the girls. And and I, and I look, I, I you know I'm not saying that it's not difficult, but you know how it, an emotional toll. How is it taking a mental toll? It, it is what it is, right? I mean, you know. And she's talking about, well, the fact that, you know, you get ready to play a game and, you know, it suddenly it's canceled and, you know, anyway, they were, uh, they were supposed to play three more games, two against Albany this weekend and then one against Binghamton on February 20th. But there wasn't even certain if those games were going to be played or not. Uh, they become the third team in America East to cancel the season early. Vermont, uh, did so first week of January. And then UMBC decided to stop playing their games on uh, January 29th. They hadn't played in three weeks because of COVID-19 issues uh, when they pulled the plug back on the 29th of January. So Hartford uh, done for the rest of the season. Uh, One other note about uh, Connecticut. Dustin Johnson, the number one ranked golfer in the world, uh, has committed to defend his title at the Travelers Championship here in Cromwell, Connecticut. Um which will take place June 21st to the 27th. Uh, He's coming back. He won it last year, um, and he becomes the first player to commit to the tournament for this coming year. Look, the the tournament in Hartford is a very, very popular tournament around the league. So uh, uh, he's decided he's going to come back and play. Hartford fans are going to love that. Uh, And and I expect, I think last year, I want to say they had seven of the top 10 players in the world in the field. So, you know, that's the one good thing about the Travelers because the fans are uh, get people going uh, that uh, they always get a good turnout. So uh, so Dustin Johnson coming back uh, to the TPC next year. It is 46 minutes past the hour. We've got to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Thursday morning. Uh, the Boston Bruins with a win yesterday. Uh, they have now gone eight zero and one since losing uh, their uh, opening game. They are now nine one and two. They just continue to roll. They win yesterday in overtime. They beat the New York Rangers three to two. Brad Marchand with a game winner thirty six seconds into the overtime period, uh, set up on a nice pass by Charlie McAvoy and uh, Tuka Rask with thirty three saves and the Bruins win another one. Just remarkable. They continue to roll. Uh, the Rangers have now lost two in a row, and uh, they sit right now in fifth place in the NHL East. These two teams will play again on uh, Friday night. Um, before we get out of here this morning, I just want to take a second. Uh, any of you that uh, listen to the show that have older parents, 
Uh, my mom is 78 years old. Um, and, you know, my mom is, uh, you know, not the most tech savvy person in the world. I mean, she knows how to, she was, a, she was an accountant. So my mom knew how to, you know, knows how to use Excel and, you know, do those things. And she knows how to do her e- email and, you know, she'd do her banking online. I mean, she's, she's gotten good at some of this stuff, but what I have found is that, uh, and it had, didn't just happen to my mom. It's happened to my wife's aunt. It's happened to a couple other older people that I know. They are very naive about things on the computer and they are very, uh, I, they're trusting, I guess, would be the right word. My mom get it, got an email yesterday uh, from someone who claimed to be from Amazon saying that uh, someone had charged a $4,500 television to her Amazon account. Now, my mom's got an Amazon credit card, you know, like so many of us do. And so, of course, you know, and then there was a phone number that she should call. And, you know, so she called and. She ends up on the phone with somebody for three hours. And uh, they said, well, you know, you shouldn't. You, we, we've got to do some things to try to protect your account, and this is what you need to do. And it'd be better if you use your cell phone instead of using And so they, they convinced her to install a couple of apps on her cell phone. And they convinced her to give them her debit card information, which she gave them. Um, and uh, they tried to set up a cash app. Uh, account for her with my mother's debit card. So I don't find out about any of this until finally at six o'clock last night, she calls me and I'm not trying to embarrass my mom, but this is, I'm just as, this is something that if you have older parents that use the computer, you need to talk to them about this stuff. And I had talked to my mom before Uh, she had another situation where she got one of those pop-ups that comes up that freezes your screen. And she ended up, you know, calling somebody and giving them $200 to, uh, to quote unquote, unlock her computer. Um, which by the way, she didn't, you know, but anyway, and I had told her before, mom, don't do that. If there's a problem, you call me. Well, yesterday she tried to solve this on her own and she, you know, got herself into some trouble. She finally calls me at six o'clock last night and says, can you come down tomorrow? I'm having a little trouble. And this is what, and I went, I almost lost it. Uh, so no, I did not wait until today to go down. I went down last night, uh, and took care of this. And, you know, she saved the email. She had printed it out and you look at it and, and this is what you have to talk to your your parents about. Obvious things. My mom's name was spelled wrong in the email address. I mean, not in, not in the in the email. All right, my mom's name was spelled wrong. And by the way, her address was wrong. It, they said it was uh, you know Elaine Gums, and it was her ad, that she lived in Delaware. My mother lives in Connecticut, right? The email address where the supposed Amazon account or Amazon rep contacted her from was not from amazon.com. It was from a Gmail address. You know, I mean, there was so, there was misspellings. There was obvious stuff. And she said, well, I thought it was odd that my name was spelled wrong. Uh, You know, and, you know, and I had to be careful not to, not to kind of just lose it, you know, and, and start yelling at my mother, you know, and I here the good news was the following. Um, as soon as she called me and told me, I had her call her bank and stop her debit card, you know, uh, cancel it. And she did. And the uh, woman had told her that uh, there were no pending transactions, but uh, if anything else came through, they would be denied. Um, we also tried to get into her her uh, Amazon account and found out somebody had changed her password. 
and I looked on her email, and at 1 o'clock in the afternoon when she was on the phone with these people, somebody from India had logged into her account on Amazon and changed her password. And they set up this cat, and there were four emails from the Cash App saying, we're in the process of setting up your account. I got to it just in time because they were setting up the, if, if that Cash App thing had gone through, they would have cleaned out my mother's bank account. Now, we might have been able to get the money back, but it, it's just a cautionary tale that, you know, there were, there were signs there, and she didn't see them. And, and then she, my mom's like, and, you know, my mom got emotional. She said, I feel so dumb. And I said, look, Mom, you're not dumb, okay? My mom is not a dumb woman. Um, you know, well, uh, the, 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 the accounting work that she did for you, she, you can't be dumb and do that stuff. Uh, I wouldn't be able to do it. My head would explode. And I said, mom, you're not dumb. I said, this is just about, you know, you don't understand how these things work. I said, and you're naive with this stuff and you're too trusting, you know? And I said, you know, we had the conversation before. So the new rule that we have is that you do nothing. You call nobody. If there is anything that says you need to call somebody, you call me. Or you call my my younger my youngest sister. The two of us are the most tech savvy in the in the family. I said that's what you do. I said, and you let us handle it. And then you know, and then if if it's something legitimate, we'll tell you. You know, but so folks, again, if if you have older parents, talk to them. You know, and just say, hey, look, you know, and and, and you know, you got to be careful because you don't want to make it sound like oh, suddenly I'm the parent and she's the child. But when it comes to this stuff and they don't understand the level of deceit that is out there, and these people are scumbags. I mean, honest to God, they are just absolute scumbags. With my wife's aunt, they, uh, you know, she ended up losing several hundred dollars. You know, we filed a police report. I mean, it's just, and they're never going to catch these people. You know, there's, it, it's such a sophisticated operation, and a lot of it happens all overseas that they're never going to catch them. But it's disgusting. And so just just warn your parents, you know, just let them know that, hey, you know, this isn't this is for your own good. We're just I'm trying to protect you. I mean, the last thing, you know, you need is suddenly your, your mom's on fixed income, and but she's got a little bit of a nest egg and that disappears overnight uh, because, uh, you know, of something like this. So anyway, that was my fun last night. And, you know, but fortunately, uh, I caught it just in time, and, uh, you know, we changed all her passwords and, you know, uh, set up two-factor authorization. So now if she's going to do something on Amazon, she has to put in a code that comes to her cell phone, and I showed her how to do all that. And, you know, I, there may be some times I'm going to have to help her through some of it, but I'm okay with that. That's better than her losing tens, losing tens of thousands of dollars to some scammer. So just just warn your folks, you know, just just warn them. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with a little little feel-good music. How about some Jimmy Buffett? We're going to head to Margaritaville. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.